So this morning, I thought we would talk about Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. Now, anyone who's familiar with the church calendar will immediately be thinking, Steve, you do realise that Pentecost Sunday is always in May or early June. I know that it's a movable feast, but surely that's stretching things just a bit far. Now, if you don't know what a a movable feast is, it's called that because, uh, like Easter, it's always on a a different Sunday every year, unlike Christmas. But it's always seven weeks after Easter. So, why do I want to talk about Pentecost in September? I'm so glad that you asked that. (laughs) Well, I could say, well, God's told me to. Um, But that's always a bit of a conversation killer, isn't it? It kind of ends the discussion at that point when someone says that because nobody wants to be challenging what God has said. But that's one of the reasons we try not to use that kind of language too much here. And when we do, we try and say it more tentatively and more provisionally. But if people try to play the God's told me card with you, then do feel free to be brave enough to challenge it in the nicest possible way if it doesn't feel right to you. Follow the example of the young woman who was told by a man in her church, God's told me we should get married. To which she quite rightly said, well, God hasn't told me. So game, set and match, madam, or in this case, game, set and not match. But joking aside, obviously there is a sense in which what I want to talk about this morning is something that I feel God has put on my heart. And it's an aspect of Pentecost that people don't usually focus on when they read that story. But it's something I feel God wants to talk to us about as a church at this particular time where we are at as we start this new term. So we're going to look at the day of Pentecost, which is in Acts chapter 2, which is in the New Testament. If you've not come across the story before, we always try at Aylesbury Vineyard never to assume that people know the Bible stories or know the Bible characters. And that's one of the reasons we encourage our speakers not to say, as you know, or just drop in passing references to Bible characters and stories and books of the Bible. Because why should they know? If someone is just exploring church or just starting out as a Christian, there's nothing that's going to make them feel less welcome and feel more like an outsider than when people do that kind of thing. So let me give you a little bit of background. So the book of Acts is like a short history of the early church. It was written by somebody called Luke. Um, Most people in the Bible don't have surnames, just have to get used to that. Um, And Luke also wrote one of the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life that we call uh, the Gospels. So Luke's is the Gospel of Luke. And because they both share the same writer, theologians will often talk about Luke Acts hyphenated as one work, because they're really two parts to Luke's one story. In the first few verses of Luke chapter 1, he introduces it like this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilius. 
No, that's not right, Theophilus. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, we don't know who Theophilus was. It, It may have been the name of a person, or it could actually have been the title of a person, maybe a high-ranking Roman official. Both those are possibilities. Or it could have been the Theophilus. I'm having real trouble with that word, aren't I? I, I, always, I always used to call him Theophilus, which is, of course, wrong. Um, and I've been trying so hard not to do that. The word is Theophilus. Anyway, it could have been this, this Theophilus, this bloke, who was the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem uh, just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And interestingly, this particular Theophilus, the high priest, had a daughter called Joanna. And Luke mentions a Joanna twice in his gospel. One as the wife of the head of Herod's household, so quite an important person. And she was healed by Jesus in Luke 8. And then once as one of the women who first witnessed the resurrection on Easter Sunday in Luke 24. Now, Joanna was quite a popular name at the time, so we can't be sure, but it's quite an interesting possibility, especially as Luke is the only gospel writer who names Joanna. And then Luke begins Acts chapter 1 like this. In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the Gospel of Luke, his first book, was all about what Jesus began to do and teach when he was here in person. And then the book of Acts is all about what the resurrected Jesus continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In good vineyard fashion, Jesus' focus in those 40 days was the kingdom. Once when he was eating with them, uh, I love that little bit of detail there. One day we're, we're having dinner with the resurrected Jesus, as you do, a bit of grilled fish, a bit of side salad, and he says to us, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptised with water, but in just a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying something new and something totally unprecedented is going to happen. A bit like when you were immersed in water, now you're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then the next bit is so encouraging. So when the the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Even Jesus, the risen Son of God, the greatest theologian and preacher that ever walked the planet, spends 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God, and they're still not getting it. No wonder he had to hang around for 40 days. And the reason that they weren't getting it from their point of view is actually perfectly understandable. Because up until then, you had to be part of one particular nation to be included in the kingdom of God. Now, you could always become Jewish. You were always welcome to become part of Israel. Their their doors were always open, at least in theory. 
to foreigners and refugees who wanted to join them. God made that very clear throughout the Old Testament. But for most Jews of the day, inviting others to join them wasn't actually that high up on their agenda. So it was a bit like churches that pray for revival all the time, but don't really want any new people coming along in case it gets too big and they don't know everyone anymore. How awful would that be? So despite these three years with Jesus and 40 days of intensive revision classes about what the kingdom of God is all about, still, when they were with him, they kept asking him, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still hadn't grasped that this invitation to be part of the people of God was about to be thrown wide open to people of all nations without them having to go through Israel first. Instead of having to be in Israel to be part of the kingdom, now all you had to be was in Christ, in the Apostle Paul's famous phrase. And this throwing open the doors to people of every nation and every ethnicity letting them know that the kingdom of God was also for them, was going to be central to the upcoming mission of the church. Jesus had, of course, already told them that in Matthew 24. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And again in Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You see, a church that includes all nations is the kind of church that God wants. Favoured nation status in the kingdom, favoured nationality, favoured ethnicity is no more. So going back to Acts 1, Jesus was probably a little bit exasperated by this question. I certainly would have been. But of course he responds very graciously. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. This is what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, and often we leave it there, don't we? But it goes on. It's not just that. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus is mapping out here is a kind of a sat-nav journey for building his church. He's saying, start by inviting everyone in Jerusalem, then invite everyone in the rest of Judea. And then go and invite those heretical half-Jew, half-Gentile Samaritans, the ones that you don't like very much. Oh, you need to get over that pretty quickly, by the way. And then go and invite everyone from every nation, from the very ends of the earth. Invite all of them to come and be part of this kingdom of God with you on equal terms. Because this mission is not just geographical, it's theological. So that, this is Jesus' last attempt to explain it with words alone. The next explanation is going to be by the Holy Spirit. 
So let's move on to Acts uh, chapter 2. And as, as we read this, try, if you can, to forget anything that you think you already know about this having anything at all to do with the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Now, there is such a gift, and you can read all about that in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. But that is not what is happening here. Because speaking in tongues is speaking in an unknown, heavenly or angelic language. Focus instead on this being the start of God's invitation to all people groups from all nations of every culture and every ethnicity to come on equal terms and be part of the kingdom of God. It's going to be the first dramatic statement by the Holy Spirit of what this kingdom of God is going to be like. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear, not speaking in tongues, but their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. In other words, they're not very well educated. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Oh dear, bit of a list going here. Oh dear. Um, here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we hear all of these people. Thank you very much. Um, concentrate. And we hear all of these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Great question. And of course, it's the right question to be asking. What can this mean? And it doesn't mean speaking in tongues in the Pentecostal sense. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. What it means is, the last days have started. And this is what those last days are starting with. What this means is not just that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on individual Christians. The significance of what's happening here is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on people from every tribe and tongue and nation to become one people in Christ. One people speaking one language, one nation, in spite of their ethnic differences. Or to be exact, it's not so much about everyone speaking in one language, but hearing each other in one language. 
It's metaphorically speaking one language because the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And then we see the impact of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit as we read on in the chapter. Because the the speaking one language bit was just for that moment, that time, and that day. There's no indication in Acts as we read on that they continued to literally speak one language from then on. Because that wasn't actually the point. As with all manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it's never just about the manifestations themselves. It's only and always about the fruit afterwards. It's only and always about the fruit that comes from it. So, what was that? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These are the characteristics of a people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the fruit of that filling in community. They were devoted to each other, having meals with each other and praying with each other. They were together during the week. They were connected. They had everything in common, it says. They were generous givers. They were worshippers and they cared for the poor. And the fruit of this group of people, not just being individual Christians, not just being Sunday morning Christians, but living out their faith together in all these ways, they saw signs and wonders. They found favour in their community. People thought well of them. And people were finding God there. The church was continually growing. And why wouldn't it? Who wouldn't want to be part of that kind of a church? So this is describing exactly the kind of community that we want to be here. This, I believe, is the kind of fruit that God will bring that is made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Giving ourselves to God not just individually as as individuals, but also giving ourselves to each other. Committing ourselves to being people who speak one language in all these kinds of ways. So the speaking in one language on the day of Pentecost wasn't just a sign and wonder for its own sake. As with all signs and wonders, including in Jesus' own ministry, they weren't just for their own sake. They weren't just to prove that Jesus was God or to prove that he loved someone. That's true as well, but it was more than that. The signs and wonders were pointing to something. And what they're pointing to is a sign of the kingdom having broken into this world. A sign of the future having already begun. A sign that the future kingdom is here now, in part, 
even though it's still to come in part as well. And this new way of relating to each other, of overcoming all the stuff that would naturally divide us in culture and race and ethnicity, this is the first fruit of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the Old Testament prophesied. It's the first supernatural reversal of something that happened early on in the biblical story. And this is the first manifestation of the victory of Jesus over one of the worst things that sin has done to damage human life and human relationships. If you know your Bible a bit, this might remind you of somewhere else in the Bible where it talks about one people sharing a common language. Way back in Genesis chapter 11, first book in the Bible. And if you remember, I said the other week that Genesis 1 and 2 is the story of how things were supposed to be, the way God made the world when he called it very good. And then from chapter 3, Genesis 3 to 11, is describing how it all started to go wrong and to get worse and worse. Not just because Adam and Eve ate a piece of fruit that they shouldn't have. It's in these chapters that we see a whole series of relational breakdowns between people and God and people and people. So not just one fall, but a whole series of falls. And all of that culminates, it reaches its peak in Genesis 11, immediately before God begins the rescue plan with the calling of one couple called Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 12. And of course, what happens in Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. So Babel is the Hebrew word for Babylon, which throughout the Bible is symbolic of paganism and oppression and evil. And it also means confusion. And the tower that it's talking about here is something called a ziggurat, which is part of a pagan temple, and it functioned as a stairway to heaven, as the Zeppelin might say. In the local language, Babel meant gateway of the gods. So this tower was designed for people to reach the gods, to access heaven by their own efforts. There are still 25 ziggurats in the world and 
the oldest one is actually from that same time period and the same area as Babel. And it's also made of bricks, not stone. In 1985, Saddam Hussein ordered the rebuilding of this one using bricks with his name on at the biblical site of a place called Ur between Baghdad and Basra. So, what's the connection between Genesis 11 and Babel and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts 2? And the answer is, it's the reversal of what happened at Babel. So instead of one people speaking one language and defying God, we see one people speaking one language and worshipping God. Instead of a group of people who want to make themselves famous, we see a group of people who want to make Jesus famous. Instead of Babel celebrating them ascending to God, Pentecost is celebrating God descending to us. First through Jesus and secondly through the Holy Spirit. Instead of God dividing one people into many tribes and nations speaking many languages because of what people did, we see God uniting one people into one tribe and nation, speaking one language because of what Jesus did. The blessing of Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. And of course, the, the Lord was uh, completely right, as you would expect him to be, when he said, nothing will be impossible for one people speaking one language. But what was then a threat has now become a promise to us as his church. Nothing will be impossible for us if we are one people speaking one language anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to model that kind of community of one people that we see in Acts chapter 2 with Jesus at the centre. You know, there are so many things that want to divide our society in this world. Old and young, male and female, rich and poor, couples and singles, Remainers and Brexiteers and many other things. And these all have the power to divide us. They all have the power to dominate our thinking, not just in society, but also in the church, if we let them. But the one that has the most potential to divide us is our ethnicity and our culture. It's the one that so many, many Christians fail to deal with just by retreating into white churches and black churches, living our lives under the legacy of Babel rather than the blessing and power of Pentecost. Now, I love so many things about this church, including the fact that we have young and old, male and female, rich and poor, couples and singles, and so on. But the thing that I love the most is that we have a people made up of those from every tribe and tongue and nation. In other words, we have people from every culture and every ethnicity. Because we desperately want to be a church that models Pentecost, not one that models Babel. And we need everyone here to help us in that. 
We need people to step up and say, I want to be part of a church like that. I want to step up and help lead and help play a part in making Aylesbury Vineyard more and more like that kind of church. Because you see lots of white churches and you see lots of black churches. You see lots that are either or. But you don't see so many that are both and. Both and in terms of leadership. Both and in terms of connect groups. Both and on the stage. Both and in everything that goes on. But that is our vision. And the reason that we want to be like that now is because that is what heaven is going to be like. So we need to start practising. And we see a prophetic picture of heaven in Revelation 7 verse 9 where the, uh, the Apostle John says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So if that is what heaven is going to be like in the future, it's surely what God wants his church to be like in the present. And in fact, that is what we're asking for every time we pray for people and every time we pray for the church. We're saying, your kingdom come now. Your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying for earth now to be like heaven then. So the only question is, are we going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that it will be like that? We, are we going to be starting practicing now? We need to ask ourselves as individuals, are we going to step up and lead to help that to happen? Are we going to be devoted to each other and make friends with each other and have meals together in our homes together and pray with each other and be in connect groups together? Not just being satisfied with being together on Sunday mornings. Are we going to pursue that same fruit of the presence of the Holy Spirit in this church that was the first fruit of the presence of the Holy Spirit in that Jerusalem church? Are we going to say no to every barrier that would divide us? Andy Stevens, you want to come back? Thanks. And especially, are we going to say no to the barriers that our skin colour wants to put in front of us and that Satan wants to put in front of us? Because the Babel that divided humanity was demolished at Pentecost. So the only agenda that Babel still features on is Satan's agenda. And of course, the, the devil loves it when we let Babel win. He loves it when Babel is the hallmark of God's people. So don't let that happen. Don't give him the satisfaction of buying in to his agenda. Don't let Babel win. Instead, let's make a decision this morning that we will be a people, that we will be a people, that I will be a person in this church in whom Pentecost wins.